0: to see everybody this morning. Glad everybody could be here. We're going to continue on in our summer in the Proverbs, but a couple of people have asked, so I'll go ahead and give give an update. A couple weeks ago, we prayed for uh, my son, Malik. He's actually our second child. A lot of people think he's the oldest. He's actually the second oldest. Uh, Went to college a couple weeks ago. Started at the University of Cincinnati, so I had to rep now our school this morning. Um, So he's doing well. He's doing well, he's in Army ROTC, they already snatched him up to to be the guide on bear, so he gets to run with the flag in the morning, and uh, he sent me a text, said, hey, they picked me out to be the flag guy. I don't know what that means, but, so he's doing that, did well on his first Army physical fitness test, so he's off on his way, and uh, he's doing, doing very well. I'll probably give him a call tonight just to see how classes were going. So before we jump in, I'd ask that you bow, and let's take a short moment of prayer. Father God, thank you so much for this day, Lord. I thank you for all that you're doing in in my life and in my family's life and in the lives of all those here in the congregation. So, Father, as we go forward in your word today, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our spirits to receive what you have for each one. Help us to understand you afresh each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. So, again, continuing our, our walk through Proverbs this summer. Proverbs is absolutely one of my favorite books. I think I start every sermon that way, but it it really is one of my favorite books because it's all about wisdom and knowledge and understanding and just ways for living your life, ways to understand. There's really a lot in there that you can pick apart. And even if you do read a proverb a day every month, there's always something new to see and explore. And those of you who have known me for a while, I have to admit I'm a little bit addicted to school. And, and studying, and I like to train and, and do all these things. So Proverbs is is right up my alley. Uh, in fact, this past week, I spent five days in a suicide intervention skills trainer course. So I enjoyed getting to learn some, some new skills that I can apply as a chaplain and being able to teach those to other people. But what I really, really enjoyed was the fellowship, the fellowship with people from my current unit, the fellowship with people from all over the country. There was uh, people as far flung as California. there was somebody who came back from a deployment from uh Qatar who I actually know we served together at Fort Bragg, so that was kind of neat. but just to get to know everybody and a little bit more of their story was was really neat and that 's my really my favorite part about education and when I think of of proverbs, my knowledge grows, but I also feel like i'm fellowshipping with the authors. I feel like i 'm fellowshipping with God as I read through there i 'm getting something that just feeds my spirit, feeds my soul just in a, in a very unique way. And I'm sure that there's many of you out here that agree that when we go to these courses and these schools and these different things, school's all right. You know, it's okay to, to learn some stuff. But really, after class, these other different things in the military, if you're TDY on the weekends, going and hanging out with people and really learning how they do the same job that you do from their perspective. So it's really that fellowship and that relationship that, that makes the experience. And I feel like Proverbs offers that. So today we'll be looking at Proverbs 30. So if you want to go ahead and get set up on your, in your Bible or on your phone or whatever, we'll be at Proverbs 30. And this, this proverb is written by Agur, the son of Yacca. He's He's the one who writes this chapter. We don't know much about Agur because this is the only place that he's mentioned in the Bible. So we don't know... Any of it's about him before this, we don't know after, but what we do know is that he was very wise. As we read through this proverb, you, you'll see what I mean. He knows that true wisdom is founded on a right understanding of relationships, the relationships uh, that, will, that will unfold as we read. He understands that that's where wisdom is really founded. It's not necessarily something that we can manufacture on our own, and he wants his readers and as hearers to understand that as well. So Proverbs chapter 30. And uh, now I got to admit, this is like one of my very favorite chapters in the Bible. I've always said I wanted to preach this. So I wanted to try to preach the whole thing. Well, that wasn't going to work out um, because there's really some some neat stuff even after what we'll cover today. But I, I will will read this to you. And uh, just because I want to I just want to read it. All right. So here we go the sons of Agur, the son of Yaka, the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist, Who has wrapped up the waters in his garment." Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God, the word of the Lord. God's message to mankind through Agur is you have to understand. You have to understand. So what are the things you need to understand? Well, three things that I'll, that I'll highlight as we work through this. The first thing is you have to understand who you are. You have to understand who you are. So Proverbs 30, the first four verses, the words of Agur, the son of Yacca, the oracle, the man declares. And then we go down and he says, surely I'm too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. Agur is obviously very wise, even though he makes this declaration that that he doesn't possess any wisdom. Uh, and I would be willing to guess that, that he has a reputation among the people where he lives of being very wise as well. I would imagine that a lot of people look up to him for his wisdom and his insight. For him to claim to be stupid is in a way to get the attention of his audience. It's a type of hyperbole, but it also highlights his humility and the need to approach life with humility. And it sets the stage for the rest of, of the proverb as it comes. Agur sees God as the beginning and the end of wisdom and understanding. One of the reasons why he says that that he's too stupid, or surely he does not possess, because all that is in God. This is how a man who possesses actually a lot of wisdom, understanding, and insight can, can truly, honestly say that, that he does not possess those very those very things. And this is not some form of either false humility or, or harmful self-deprecation. This is a person who has a firm grasp of the reality between the human being and a divine God. He, ha- he has a full and complete grasp on these things. As a way, kind of a way of illustration in, in my own life, I know that that I'm at my best when, when I realize that I'm not the smartest person in the room. You know, when I take the, uh, take the time to acknowledge that when when I perceive that I'm in desperate need it motivates me to listen and learn and in the army you get plenty of opportunities to do that because right right about the time that you feel like you've got a good handle you know all the right people everything is getting kind of easy you know exactly what to do to get even some of the hard things done you get orders <laughs> you get orders they're like no yup, yeah you're looking good guess what you're leaving, we're going to send you on to a new job. So you're constantly in that place of of learning. And as when you get to a, a new place, a new unit, getting used to new people, sometimes you feel like you're underwater, even in the things that you already know how to do well. And I think that's how Agur feels when he thinks about his relationship with God, like this this God is is mighty. This God is, is the creator of all things. And, in, and beside him, I have absolutely no ability to, to call myself wise or to claim to have understanding. So he understands who he is. And we, you have to understand who you are as well. So moving on to the next one verses 5 and 6. The second thing we have to understand is understand who God is. And this is this is very foundational and probably the most important of all. So uh, verses 5 and 6. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. And then let me, let me back up a little bit because it actually starts in, in verse 4, but I, I broke it out funny. Says in verse 4 says, who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in his garment? Who has established the ends of the earth? What is his name and what, of his, what is his son's name? Surely, you know, these rhetorical questions uh, accentuate God's surpassing power his authority, and his wisdom. God is the sovereign of of heaven and earth. And these questions, while not looking for an answer, the answer is known. So it's not something that's unknowable. There's only only one answer, and of course, that is God. And it's kind of an allusion back to uh, an exchange between God and Job that extended over two chapters. I would not have wanted to be Job. Uh, in, this, in this particular situation. Um, so from Job, Job chapter 38 and 39 and just the beginning of verse 40, this is where Job has and his friends have been going back and forth. And Job has made some of these claims, you know, that, that God has kind of squashed on him. He's only a man and done all these things. And then God answers out of the whirlwind. And I'll just read you uh, verses 4 through 7 here at the beginning of 38. And this is God. Now, think about this. Think about God and you having this. I'll call it an exchange, but really God asking you, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurements. Surely, you know, or who stretched out the line upon it or what were its what or what were its bases sunk and who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. So this is Job, in his case, getting a little bit of a rebuke, but a gorgeous starting out. I'm going to ask these questions to myself. I'm going to ask these questions to the people who are listening, and then we're going to move on so that God doesn't have to come down and kind of lecture us hardcore. So he, again, very wise. He's learned that lesson. He's continued to move on. And there at the end of those rhetorical questions is that is the question, what is his name and what is his son's name? So I just wanted to take just a second to talk about that, because there are some theories on his son's name. I think all are important. I don't know which one the, the author had in mind, although the first one, if he had it in mind, it's, it's through inspiration of the spirit. And of course, that is that it is an Old Testament allusion to Jesus. Coming forward, Because at that time, Agur would not have been conscious of the person of Jesus. But Scripture being inspired, you know, God could just drop that in there on us so that we wake up as we read it. So that's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is, is that God is not human. Therefore, you can't identify his family line. You can't say where he came from. Uh, you can't say uh, any of these things, which is also true because God... We can understand that, that he's the creator. We can understand that he has no beginning and no end, but we can't fully, fully grasp God, no matter how holy, no matter how brought down to our knees we ever are. But this sentiment is reflected in the opposite in Mark chapter six. And this is during Jesus' ministry, starting right at the beginning, uh, Verse 2 6 2 says, And on the Sabbath, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? So they're recognizing Jesus is doing these amazing things. They've recognized his authority, his wisdom, the power of what he's done. And then Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. So who is his son? Surely, you know, is is also a don't, don't take God for granted like that. Don't think that you know. No matter how much you know, don't think that you know everything and that that puts you in some type of, of position to, to understand and declare the limits of God. And then another theory is that the son is, is Israel, that the son in that verse is Israel. And of course, God is the father. And just like a son is under the authority and care of the father, that Israel is under the authority of and care of God. So those are the the three theories, and you can see how each one of them has something that is important for us to latch on to. The reality of mankind set against the reality of God makes it clear that man, again, no matter how devout, cannot be wise. We We can never have a full grasp. There is so much that we don't know about God and so much that that we are incapable of, of understanding. The answer to this human ignorance, though, is God. His word teaches us. His word strengthens us. His word protects us. And we're reminded not to add to his words. We can't make God more perfect. We can't, we can't fix things that, that God does. Now, I've, I've thought that before. You know, God, you know, that, that's kind of... That's kind of wrong. I'm not I'm not hearing a trip to Korea, you know, or I'm not even coming up here. You know, God, I'm not really feeling coming to to Washington, D.C. They got traffic. The only thing I thought was up here was the Pentagon. I don't want to work there. They don't have any windows unless you're like a four star general. So but just like we can't fix God's plans, we can't add to his words. We can't manipulate his words uh, to to say, what we want him to say. Therefore, we shouldn't try. The correct action is to just let God's word stand. Let God be God as if, as if there was an option to not let him be God. Uh, and these additions to God's word come both inside the community of believers and they come from the outside. People go back in, let's translate, let's read back modern values or understanding into the bible and change it around. No, this this here is a rebuke not to do that. Because if you do, you will be proven to be a liar. So, understand who you are, understand who God is, and then and this is this is my part for for Peter. You got to understand your complete and unending need for Jesus. There's a complete and unending need for Jesus that we'll actually see unfold in verses seven through nine. So I'll explain the, the comment about Peter. Peter is one who, who just has a reputation and a love for Jesus. So since I've met Peter every time I perform, a, you know, every time I uh, get up and deliver a sermon or a Bible study, I've got to run it through my Peter filter. You know, what would Peter think? You know, is, is there enough Jesus in what I'm saying? Because if there's not, then I got to go back and I got to change something but verses seven through nine. Two things I ask of you, deny me not before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Agur needs God to protect him from lies, from those who would add to God's word or from those who would take something away from God's word. But really talk about the the additions um, as Agur does. He wants protection from that. He wants to be able to discern, to be able to sort through that so that he's not taken in and and changed from directions. Agur also asks for God to provide him the right amount of wealth. He says, lest I be fooled. For he sees the fact that if he's full or if he's rich, that he may be susceptible to think that he accomplished that status on his own. Now, because Proverbs talks a lot about material wealth, uh, we, that's, that's instantly where we jump to. We, we think about the material wealth, but there's also spiritual pitfalls as well. So I want to look at a couple of verses to, to illustrate this. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Verse 11 to 14 and 17. Take care. And this is this is the the word to the people. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. This is Israel in the wilderness. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. So talking about wealth, the material, as you become successful, you depend on me now. You wanted the deliverance. I'm navigating you through the wilderness, but when you arrive, when you get there, be careful because the temptation then will be to kind of have selective memory of history and think that you got here just by your own hard work. Paul addresses this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 as well. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. This is the caution. Just as Israel, when they reached the promised land, couldn't think that they arrived and forgot how they got there. Each of us as individual believers are still in that, in that, at that point that when we receive Jesus, when we acknowledge him as Lord and savior, there's certainly an opportunity there to forget where we came from. There's an opportunity there to think that we got there because we're such good people There's an opportunity there to think because we are elected that somehow we earned it and to think that that is the end of something. Now we've accomplished it where it's actually the beginning. That's actually where things begin. So it's not just the material wealth and blessings that can be that pitfall, but the spiritual uh, as well. He goes on to talk about lest I be poor. Stealing really reflects two things. It reflects a lack of faith. And also hypocrisy, which people love to level against Christians. Lack has also, in the past, in the present, of his present, in the future, which is where we're at, in our own future, lack has led people also to take God's name in vain in a violation of the third commandment. And that's illustrated in the book of Isaiah. And I don't know if we have Isaiah in there. We do. All right. Then they will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. So in that in that spirit of lack that he's praying against is don't don't have me lack to the point where where I curse you you know, where I speak contemptuously against God. Now, if you read the Psalms, read through the Psalms, this doesn't mean that people, um, that that we have to to be fake about anything. The psalmist in plenty of places says, you know, why do the wicked prosper? God, why has this come down on me? I want to know, I don't understand. But then the heart turns back, but you are the Lord. You are the one who provided. So we want to keep that in mind. What he's talking about here is a real turning away, not just questioning God, not just feeling the realities of life, But abandoning, turning to false idols, turning to nothing, claiming that there is no God, these types of things. So he's praying to God. God, help me to live right for you. He knows where the source is. He knows that he can't be wise enough. He can't understand enough to protect himself. So he's got to go to God. He knows that without that, he will succumb. And really, we've seen... um, what, he's, what his prayer, we see again later on, it looks a lot like the Lord's prayer. It looks a lot like the Lord's prayer because he doesn't want to steal and dishonor the name of the Lord. Jesus tells his disciples, pray, hallowed be your name, honored be your name. Jesus also says, ask, give us this day our daily bread. Our guru talks about giving me the food that is needful for me, both body and soul. And he asked to be protected from from falsehood and lies. And in the Lord's Prayer, the prayer is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Go back to the source. It is that complete and unending need for Jesus. It's that complete and unending need to be connected to God for everything That Agur is getting across to all those who would read this, to all those who would hear this as it was said, as he said it, as it was said for generations to come, that foundation of wisdom. So these first nine verses lay really lay out the meaning of back in Proverbs one. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Without without the Lord, there is no knowledge. We can't know anything without God. We can't have the, that faith and confidence in anything without God. And this, is a, this healthy fear of the Lord should drive each of us to understand who we are, who God is, and our complete and unending need for Jesus. To do this, we have to get understanding. You know, the title of the series is Get Wisdom. Today, talking about get understanding. A couple a, little, a, a couple chapters back in Proverbs chapter four, uh, Solomon puts it this way in verse seven. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. It's like, dang, all right, a little bit of Captain Obvious going on right there. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight in the NIV. That's understanding. Prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow upon you a beautiful crown. So get wisdom. So just like Agur, we have the first thing we have to do is you have to understand who you are. Understand who you are. So who are you? Who am I? Who are we? We are sinners in need of a savior. John 14, 6, in John 14, 6, you know, Jesus reminds his his disciples on on that time before he's about to go be crucified that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We're in need of that Savior. That need doesn't go away because we pray a prayer, because we go to church, because we serve the poor and needy. That need never goes away. Who else are you? A child of God. Under his care and authority, John chapter one, verse 12 says, but all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Sinner in need of a savior, but also a child of God. And you are also a recipient and a conduit of grace. The uh, the first song that the worship team sung talks about <coughs> being redeemed to redeem and that and that's the exact that's the exact message uh when god said to abraham that he was he was blessed in order to be a blessing to all nations in matthew chapter 10 verse 8 jesus tells his disciples heal the sick raise the dead cleanse lepers cast out demons you have received without paying give without pay so you have received And what you have received, you will give. You are a recipient and a conduit of grace. Understand who God is. God is the creator of everything. You can just flip through Genesis. There's too much there to to read out, but trust me, it's there. Genesis chapter 1, and read there. He's the creator. God is Lord. Jesus said to his disciples in John 13, verse 13, "'You call me Lord and Master.'" And so I am. He is the Lord and master. And then the beautiful verse in the book of Isaiah that we hear around around Christmas. And we heard some uh, some Christmas songs this morning. (laughs) Came in and Sharon was like, Daddy, it's not Christmas. And I was like, what are you talking about? Because I wasn't really hearing the music. And then I heard it and I was like, oh, no, you're right. It's not Christmas. She was probably hoping that something had gone on. That she didn't know about, like, you know, there are going to be some, some presents or something. When we get back, they play Christmas music at church. But, but you know, around that time, we, we will hear these verses out of the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We need to understand that that's who God is. He's always that. Why, why would he cease to be that once we think that, that we've uh, obtained some type of salvation? He's also one who repairs what is broken. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, and I know I'm coming at y'all with a, with a lot this morning, um, as far as the verse references go. You can have my notes after this if you need them. Second um, Chronicles chapter seven, verse 14. "If my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin, sin, and heal their land." These verses come right after the, the promise and the description of exile, But I will hear from heaven if they will turn. He's the one who repairs what is broken understand who God is, he's also the only perfect wisdom. And that's all over the book of Proverbs. It's in what we're looking at today. It's in what we've looked at in the past. It's in the parts that we haven't looked at yet. So in Proverbs chapter 9, uh, verse 10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight, or the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That's where it's grounded. It's all grounded in God. So understand who you are, understand who God is, and understand your complete and unending need for Jesus. And for me, if you've heard me preach more than once, then you know that I have not delivered a sermon without a reference to the book of John. And it's not because I'm John. It's just because there's just so much foundational stuff in there. So if I haven't made a reference to John chapter 3, I probably have not preached. So John chapter 3 verse 18 uh, is, is where I'm going today. I usually go all the way to, uh, to 16, but I'm going to just jump straight to, to 18 today because there, there's a message there that I think gets, gets glossed over uh, every, every once in a while. So verse 18 says, whoever believes in him, so whoever believes in Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. A complete and unending need for Jesus. He has come to seek and save the lost. And we see that in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, just says that. Jesus says, I have come to seek and save the lost. Complete and unending need for Jesus, and again, uh, Paul's teaching in Galatians uh, chapter two, verse twenty. One that you'll one that you'll you'll recognize. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I'm now crucified with Christ. I'm now a believer. I've made that exception. Now it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me, which is an illustration of the fact that we don't get to some point where, okay, now we're good and we can kind of do whatever we want. We have to continue to live with Christ in us and we're not going to grow out of that. We're not going to, not going to die out of that. We're not going to go to heaven and all of a sudden not need that. Because remember, angels... There was a group of angels who who thought that same thing and were cast out of heaven. So that need doesn't go away. We're not going to grow out of that. Understand who you are, understand who God is, and understand your complete and unending need for Jesus. All of this understanding resides in God. All of it. The only way to obtain wisdom and then to live by it is to submit, commit, and believe in Jesus Christ. You will not know yourself, you will not know God without God. And that is Agur being humble, saying, conveying his lack of wisdom, his need for God, his, for God's protection, for God's provision to keep him safe and to allow him to continue on. So what do you think would happen if only the 2.2 billion people that claim to be Christians in our, wor- in our world lived by these words, lived by that sentiment. Just, just, those, just those 2.2 billion who say that I am a Christian. Do you think that that might have some effect on some of our, our political hot button issues of today? Maybe. Maybe so. If these Christians live by it, what what would be the impact on racism? What would be the impact on the value of human life? What would be the value on, what would be the impact on the value of family? What about love and respect for differences? Not to mention some of our personal struggles. Depression, loneliness, low self-esteem, all these things. Just if we looked at God, everyone who says I'm a Christian actually looked at God as the source of all that they needed in their life. Will it will we ever get there? I don't know. I don't know if we'll get there. You know, I I hope that we could. But what I do encourage is I encourage each one of you, myself, each one of us to to make a little dent into those people who, who do know, who do believe, who do see that we have to live by what God has put out for us, that that we get Understanding and that we live by wisdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the word that you send out, does not return to you without accomplishing all that you purpose it to accomplish. So, Father, I would pray again that you would help us to hear you, Lord, that you would help us to follow you, Lord. Give us that knowledge, that wisdom, the understanding that we seek, Lord. We know that we won't be able to complete it, but that's beautiful because we can continue to grow. So, Father, continue to grow us, protect us, help us to see what you have given us as our daily portion, Lord God, that we could go forth in it in gladness and protect us from all attacks, lies, from all sources, be it the enemy, those who would come against us or even inside of ourselves, Lord. We thank you so much that you pay attention to us, that you've left your word, that we can know you and go forward in faith and confidence in you. In Jesus' name, amen.